Hello, my name is Mike Diedrich, and I'm here with Michael McPherson's uh, for the Veterans for Peace Chapter 92 radio show. And it's being broadcast on KODX 96.9 FM in Seattle. Uh, Today, our guest will be Greta Kammermeyer. Before that, I'd like to read the Veterans for Peace Statement of Purpose. We, having dutifully, dutifully served our nation, do hereby affirm our greater responsibility to serve the cause of world peace. To this end, we will work with others to increase public awareness of the costs of war, to restrain our governments from intervening overtly and covertly in the internal affairs of other nations, to end the arms race and to reduce and eventually eliminate nuclear weapons, to seek justice for veterans and victims of war, and to abolish war as an instrument of national policy. To achieve these goals, members of Veterans for Peace pledge to use nonviolent means and to maintain an organization that is both democratic and open with the understanding that all members are trusted to act in the best interest of the group for the larger purpose of world peace. For more information, you can go to veteransforpeace.org, channel um, Veterans for Peace, VFP 92 is our local local, uh, uh, affiliate, chapter 92. So Greta Kammermeyer is a uh, retired colonel, army colonel, who was probably most famous for, I mean, she was in the, in the reserves and active duties. She was a, a nurse and she was in, in the reserves and active duty for almost 30 years. She was uh, perhaps most famous because of uh, during a, a national security questionnaire for her, she was looking for a security clearance. She was asked if she was uh, 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 gay and she said, I'm a lesbian. The army immediately discharged her with an honorable discharge, and uh, and uh, she was out of the service. She subsequently uh, sued the army and uh, won a case in the superior court here in, in I think it was Washington State that the judge reinstated her in the military, and at that time it was just um, don't ask, don't tell policy was just had been in effect or was just be, being in effect. And basically, um, she served out the remainder of her uh, reserve time uh, in the United States Army, retired from the United States Army. She was outspoken about it, and she has been since she retired, uh, since the late 90s she retired. And and, uh, she's going to give us some more information about this in this interview. She's a well-spoken and very uh, uh, intelligent person and gives a unique perspective as somebody who uh, was both a, a, a career soldier, colonel, and uh, an advocate of um, gay lesbian rights. Yeah, and you two have the big um, connection that you both served in Vietnam. Right, sure. Her, uh, uh, and she, re- she remarks that, uh, uh, that she was a nurse in Vietnam for um, well, I don't know, a tour or so. And uh, that sort of duty is, uh, in my opinion, those people are really here as sort of like a uh, dumb shit like myself who gets drafted and goes someplace I don't want to go is, is one thing. But to uh, be a volunteer and deal with casualties, in some cases, mass casualties, right. every day of your tour is, is really uh, uh, something that we should value and, and honor. Right. It's a very, very tough. That's that's a very tough service. 
That's right. That's right. Well, hello, everybody. Uh, this is Michael McPherson, and I appreciate you listening in, uh, tuning us in. Um, I conducted the interview, and as, um, it was on Saturday, November 20th, which is also Transgender Day of Remembrance. And I wanted to comment on that um, just so that people know that with near, nearly two months left in 2021, um, we have, or we should say, I guess I should say, that we have the largest homicides um, of transgender people with 45 to date, uh, most of them black or Latinx, according to the Human Rights Campaign. Last year held the previous record with 44 trans murders. And I, I guess we, sh we should, we really should do just a moment of silence. There's a lot that we could talk about when it comes to uh, Transgender Day of Remembrance, um, and but we're not going to talk about that today. Um, there are many things we could talk about the Kyle Rittenhouse uh, verdict where um, Rittenhouse got off, and Mike and I have talked about that a little bit. We want to talk more about that next month, um, and also the Ahmaud Arbery trial is taking place, and more than likely by the time we have our next show. Uh, that will have come in and we'll find out what the verdict is of that as well. So we'll talk about that next month too. And then lastly, there's Thanksgiving, which is coming up soon. Um, not that we want to say a lot about that. I, I think in the previous, last year, I, I mentioned that Thanksgiving is one of my favorite holidays because of family. But at the same time, you know, Thanksgiving has a history and the history that all of us was taught is not really the history of Thanksgiving. Yes, there was a meal, but there's a lot that goes into what happened before the meal and the things that happened afterwards to bring us to where we are today with um, Native Americans, First Nation people's rights, um, First Nation people almost disappearing because of white supremacy and the taking of their land. All that should be thought about on Thanksgiving. So I, I, I just ask our listeners when you're enjoying your meal and family, which there's totally nothing wrong with enjoying a meal and your family and giving thanks for the things that you have and the people you love, but do not ignore the history of the holiday um, because then you're buying into lies. And, and really when you do that, then that to me anyway, undercuts the, the thanks that I'm giving. And I'm a Christian, the thanks I give to God if I also don't acknowledge the truth, you know, you can't have it both ways. So go ahead and, and just remember, um, but still love your family. Just that's all I think I want, wanted to say. <laughs> well, I, I would only add to that, that the uh, uh, an old saying says the truth will set you free. But to appreciate what what this country is, you have to look at its own because we have to look in the mirror. And it's particularly for the pilgrims and the Indians. Then, you know, it wasn't long after that. So supposed date of the Thanksgiving dinner that the pilgrims were offering bounties for uh, Indian scalps, and uh, not a, that that happened throughout the American history. Um, That's right. So uh, I, I also mentioned a book, uh, the um, 1619, which is a book about uh, American history, and uh, huge, hugely involved in that history is American slavery and the. Uh, Americans need to look at their own history. You can't, you can't really 
you can't really move on unless you know your own history. And, and um, it's, it's part of what makes us Americans, for better or for worse. That's right. That's right. Okay. Well, Mike, before we move on to our to our guests, you wanted to say a little bit about Veterans Day slash Armistice Day and Veterans for Peace? Veterans for Peace celebrates Armistice Day as opposed to uh, the uh, emphasis on Veterans Day. Uh, not that the two are different, but their emphasis is one. Uh, and as part of that, that uh, observance, Veterans for Peace 92 and some other chapters marched for the 13th year in Auburn Veterans Day Parade, which bills itself as the largest Veterans Day Parade west of the Mississippi. I don't know what's that, if that's true or not, but it's a big, big parade. There were uh, nine of us down there in weather that even by Northwest standards was extreme uh, with the rain. And then uh, we followed that up with a uh, 21 of us uh, showed up for a remembrance at uh, St. James Cathedral here in Seattle, which is the Catholic uh, cathedral in the city for a remembrance of um, the end of World War I. Uh, but also we always like to remember all of the dead for all of the wars, not just the, the end of the First World War, which incidentally was originally a day which was supposed to be honoring peace and, and the pursuit of peace rather than just the uh, sort of patriotic militaristic displays that Veterans Day has become. Right. So um, 21 people, moment of silence for the dead and uh, we passed out white poppies for peace. And um, one of the things that's Veterans for Peace, just for our listeners, when we don't mind you thinking for our service, some 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 of our members do don't really don't like it. But the thing is, thank us for our service by working to end war, by holding our government accountable for these endless wars that we've been involved in. Let's let's just work to to make it so that we don't have to create so many veterans. That would really be a great way to thank us for our service. And then the last thing I wanted to say about um, Veterans Day is there's a lot of emphasis on veterans who have died. Well, let's have more emphasis on the veterans that are alive and, and let's help keep them alive. Um, we have at least 17 veterans that die by suicide a day. So the more that we can help veterans um, get jobs, help them recover from moral injury, that's the way that you can thank us for our, for our service. And then we can remember the, the dead on Memorial Day. Yeah. And you have to remember that the veteran suicides, those suicides are directly related to military service. That's right. Yeah. A friend of mine who is a, I haven't talked to him in a while, but he doesn't like this sort of thank you for service thing. And um, he and, and others have said, you know, instead of that, say, welcome home, which is yeah. a nice sentiment, really. Right. Uh, he also said, which is probably would surprise a little people. He, he said to me, how do you know I'm not a war criminal? Mm. <laughs> which wow. is which is which is an occupational hazard of being a soldier. In a That's war, true. You know, That's just right. an occupational hazard. Right. So. All right. So at this point, we should just go ahead and, and um, start. Well, go on to the interview um, with Colonel. With the Colonel. Okay, go ahead. 
after 50 years, I was invited with um, a, an organization called Peace Trees Vietnam uh, to return to Vietnam uh, with a, a group of veterans. And uh, in preparation for that, I did a lot of reading and sort of realized how we'd been hoodwinked. Uh, and, you know, this had been mulling over for years. And uh, so out of respect for the trip itself and my changing belief uh, in why we were there and what was going on, I wrote a song that uh, I ended up being, um, having the opportunity to sing while I was at uh, their retreat in Vietnam. And this was the organization, it was Peace Trees Vietnam. We must learn our lesson from the past Our losses and suffering felt in mass Our resolve should be lead in peace Reach through Vietnam peace trees Vietnam was a place of such pain and loss That time in my youth I still bear the cross Memories still linger like it was today Of lives lost when war took our loved ones away A time of turmoil, of fighting and death A time remembered till my last breath We thought we were noble, helping a cause Then found we were lied to and led by flaws Vietnam and its people were buried in tears Aggressive and faded for so many years From the south and the north The nation dug in Awaiting departure of those who broke in Now many a year later the toll still remains We must learn our lesson from the past Our losses and suffering felt in mass Our resolve should be lead in peace Reach through Vietnam peace trees Reach through Vietnam peace trees Wow. That's great. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that with us. We're really excited. I'm excited to have you here on the show. Um, and I really didn't know anything about you, but I did a little reading and I was like, oh, this is a person that is very interesting. And I'm, I'm really blessed to have had this opportunity to meet. So Colonel, I'm gonna call you um, Colonel, how do you say your last name? Kammermeyer? Yes, Kammermeyer. Colonel Kammermeyer just just at the beginning of this, because I want people to know that you were a colonel in the United States Army um, and you were in the nurse, the nurse corps or the nurse program for how many years? 31. Yeah. Yeah. So before we talk about anything else, I just want to talk about you for a moment. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I was born in Norway, uh, immigrated with my family to the United States when I was nine. Uh, joined the Army Student Nurse Program when I was in college uh, studying nursing and wanting to make something more meaningful out of nursing at the time and uh, had the opportunity then to join uh, the 
Army Student Nurse Program, after which I uh, uh, went on active duty for seven years and uh, served in Texas, Georgia, uh, Germany, Virginia, uh, Vietnam, and then um, Washington State. And then I was forced to leave because I, I had married, but women couldn't have children at that time and be wow. in the military. So I was forced to leave the military with um, the impending birth of our first son. And um, then after a few years, that policy changed. So I went back into the Army Reserves and then served another 15, well, uh, almost 20 years in, in, in 25 years in the Army Reserves and in the National Guard. And during the course of those years, had an epiphany. Um, I ended up getting divorced um, and realized uh, that I was a lesbian. And at a top secret security clearance, because I wanted to go to the war college, uh, the question about homosexuality came up and I said that I was a lesbian. After which um, the rest of the witch hunt took place uh, mm -hmm. during that investigation. And uh, then uh, I was uh, six months later, I was told that the military was going to discharge me because of my statement that I was a lesbian. Uh, I was stunned because I'd been in for what, 25 years by that time. I was a right. colonel. I had my, uh, I almost was finished my PhD in nursing. And uh, so I had a track record and I decided that uh, I was going to challenge my discharge. And uh, then <laughs> one would say the rest is history. Uh, because I, I was discharged. We went into federal court. I was, uh, it was ruled at that time that my discharge was unconstitutional and I was reinstated in the military. Uh, in the intervening time though, uh, the don't ask, don't tell law was uh, implemented. So as the judge who allowed me to go back on active duty said, you know, you are now governed under don't ask, don't tell. So you can't tell anybody <laughs> that you're a lesbian. I had a book coming out, Barbara Streisand and Glenn Close were involved in a movie called Serving in Silence uh, about this, this lawsuit. So there was the irony of um, everybody in the world essentially would know that I was a lesbian, but I couldn't say anything about it. So I was then governed under Don't Ask, Don't Tell. I um, served in various capacities for an additional three years. Uh, pardon Sorry. my dog. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah. And then, and then ultimately retired after 31 and a half years in the military. Wow. Wow. That's, that's the story. Yeah. Wow. Well, um, that's, yeah, that's the story as part of it though. Cause you kept being an advocate after yeah, you got for, out. Um, for 17 years between uh, the enactment of Don't Ask, Don't Tell until right. it was repealed in 2010, I worked with a lot of people in trying to overturn the policy in right. various capacities. Uh, I did over 200 university talks. Uh, just at the time, you know, if, if you were homosexual, 
there was really no understanding that we were just like everybody else. There was the presumption that we uh, somehow could change people's sexual orientation, that we were predators, that, uh, you know, yeah. this was uh, this was something that you could do something about. And so it became time for a lot of people to tell their stories, right. uh, sort of to, to humanize us again. And, uh, and uh, you know, I think that succeeded, but it took, you know, a lot of years and a lot of effort for a lot of people uh, to do that. And um, because I was old, uh, a woman, and... Mm. Um, there was like no reason for me to be discharged at the end because Barbara Streisand and Glenn Close decided to um, tell the story uh, in yeah. Serving in Silence. You know, it became more prominent as did I. Yes. And I think I read somewhere that at the signing of, I guess, the law or whatever it was that um, it, maybe it was executive order or the repeal. Yes. That um, President Obama um signed, you played some role in, in that ceremony. Well, I was invited because I, I, you know, obviously I was involved in all of it, even though mm -hmm. I lived on the, the other Washington, uh, I was invited to lead the Pledge of Allegiance in that uh, signing ceremony for the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Yeah. And for many of them, 300 plus of those of us there, it felt like for the first time in years that uh, you know, liberty and justice for all meant us also. And so it was a very meaningful experience for me. Yes. Yes, I'm sure it was. And uh, a few minutes ago, when you mentioned that people thought, people still do think this, that somehow a gay person can turn someone gay or something like that. I laughed because um, many times oppressed people um, the oppressor gives us magical powers, you know, <laughs> that somehow we're able just to make people do things, you know. So, so I just thought it's just seem, it's just humorous in how it's, that it's, common thing yeah. that that we have, you know. Yeah, but but ignorance actually perpetuates that same sort of myth, and yes, that's, that's why right. it becomes so important to challenge uh, challenge the myths, and you can only do that by being your authentic self. That's right. And telling your story. That's right. So um, before you sang your song, which was very nice, uh, you either, I'm not sure if it, when, when, if it was when you and I were talking before I started recording or if it's part of the recording, but you mentioned about changing your outlook on why the United States was in Vietnam. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Your well, your journey in that, well, you know, as a young, a young person, this was you have to think back to Vietnam and, and all of the propaganda and all of the things that we were um, fed um, by the, you know, the leadership uh, and that we really needed to be involved in Vietnam, because if Vietnam fell, it would be like a domino effect and the entire yeah. uh, you know, Southeast Asia would become communist. And so that was the, the byline that everybody uh, sort of went into. You know, as somebody serving in the military, you follow the, the rules, the orders, whatever is 
issued to you to serve in that capacity. Otherwise, you wouldn't be in the military to begin with. Right. And I remember, you know, thinking that, you know, they, the leadership just had to know more than I did, that that's really why we were there. And, you know, I was there, I extended, um, so I was there for 14 months. Mm. And, uh, you know, all I saw as a nurse was the, the casualties, yes. the deaths, the, the, the carnage that was, was created. And, uh, you know, ended up having the same uh, bias and feeling about the Vietnamese um, and, you know, they should be grateful for us being there and, and everything. And in the course of sort of thinking about this after the fact, it was, I was born and raised under Nazi occupation in Norway. Mm. The Nazis were there and my people, my parents and family were part of the Norwegian underground mm. that was fighting the oppressors. And when I put that into the context of how is that different from what was going on in Vietnam, right. it's like there's sort of this shock effect of there isn't any difference. I mean, they were trying to get rid of the French, get the Americans out of there to be self-sustaining. There is the part of uh, the communists in the North and the non-communists in the South that was their internal struggle and yeah. continues to be even today. But uh, you know, two years ago, I had the opportunity to go to Vietnam with a group called Peace Trees Vietnam, mm -hmm. which for 25 years has assisted in the demining of Vietnam so that because all of the arsenal that or the ordinance that we dropped is still there all over all over Vietnam. That's right. And so uh, this organization has been working on sending um, teams uh, or actually they send money, do the training and the Vietnamese do the demining themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, and so um, a group of veterans from uh, and affiliated with the University of Washington, both as students and as veterans, had the opportunity to go and just see what was there and how things had changed. And, uh, you know, just that whole experience. I mean, there were flashbacks um, in time. And then the realizing as we drove through, we, we came into North Vietnam to Hanoi. So we went to the, the um, prison where the American prisoners of war were kept. And we saw, you know, how they were chained to the beds and uh, the, the propaganda that was picked up from the United States and plastered all over the walls. So there was still that, uh, all of the things that we were sort of denying being in the military there. And, and, and at the same time, it was being used by the North Vietnamese and even today by the Vietnamese as sort of the bad part of our involvement there. And so uh, going over and then having to sort of sift through all of this uh, anger, I think that I have felt over the years of uh, why, why in the world were we ever there? Mm -hmm. And then of course, as history is now being written or rewritten, uh, it's realizing that indeed we were lied to. Yes. 
and uh, and our government failed us. They failed the soldiers and service members who were killed. The what the, the fifty three thousand. Yeah. Uh, and you know, it's you you end up. I felt that my job as an army nurse was to be there, but uh, there was also the the atrocities that were taking place perpetuated by our service members towards the Vietnamese yes. and, and feeling the, the horror of that. And, you know, things that I had never really appreciated at the time or even for years afterwards, but, you know, the nightmares and the PTSD uh, are not always, I had always attributed it to being in the war zone itself. Mm-hmm. But from the, the more I have read, the more I understand that it was also created by the atrocities done by Americans to the Vietnamese. Yes. Uh, the moral all, injury. Is I'm, what I'm sorry? The moral injury oh. is what you're speaking to, I yeah. think. Yes. I mean, it's it's... It's it's just beyond conversation because yeah. it's so horrid, right? And we only saw it in a few instances, I think, as a society, as uh, the Milai massacre was was uh, you know depicted here in the United States. And I would say, well, you know, you, you don't really understand what it might have been like for the the soldiers that were there, and that this might have been all that. Uh, sort of the only option, but re- reading some of the excerpts and the stories now from other, uh, you know, really highly researched books, uh, you realize that this was not an uh, just an isolated incident. It was one of thousands taking place. Yeah. And, uh, you know, what I have never asked uh, any is, were you involved in this sort of a massacre uh, of civilians and children uh, in the name of, in our name. Right. Uh, and that's, that's really a, a frightening thought uh, that, that that was happening under the auspices of, of our uniform and our flag. Yes, I know. Um, it pains me greatly. Just recently, I read in a New York Times article about a, um, bombing of, I think it was an F-15, um, dropped uh, two two bombs. Maybe it was two different F-15s, but in uh, Syria. And I'm trying to remember the name of the town where this happened. And in real time, um, some observers were watching this happen, that were observing the target or what they were scanning for a target. Um, in real time, saw it happen. They didn't know that that this bombing run had been called in. And they saw these bombs drop on at least like 60, maybe I'm getting the numbers wrong, uh, women and children, just innocent people. And so in real time, according to this article, the people were shocked. Um, A few minutes later, someone said, you know, this might be a war crime. We need to um, take all the information and put it aside and make sure, you know, for the investigation that we have, have everything that's needed. And between that time, which was in 2019, and today, there's been very little action to really investigate and see what happened. 
Um, and so me, you know, I've been out of the military for 30 years. You know, I was in the first Gulf War. So, but I still felt some level of responsibility for it. I still felt not only I think because I'm a human being and for other humans to die in war needlessly, all of us should feel something about that. But I think I felt something as a former soldier, as a person who served this country and that this is what we're doing to people. You know, so I, I, I get where you, how horrible it is, you know, to, um, to know this. Yeah. And to feel connected to it in some way. Yeah, the the sort of the definitive book that was um, sort of recommended to me was uh, called "Kill Everything That Moves" mm-hmm. or anything that moves, and it uh, is a highly researched uh, book that you know it's just page after page after page after page of horror. Uh, and things that are in in the archives now and are just beginning to be researched by some uh, who are writing sort of the rest of the story of Vietnam. Yes. War is just bad. And, yes, it is. Uh, you know, it's, it's like nothing comes of it other than death and horror. That's right. Well, I want to talk a little bit about Veterans Day, but, and I think... Uh, the, the conversation we just had set us up to talk about that. But I wanna go back uh, to your service for a moment um, and the book you wrote, I think, um, Serving in Silence, is that the name of the book? Yes, it is. Yes. yes. The same as the movie. Okay, I haven't seen or read the book. Seen oh, naughty, book. naughty. Yeah, so <laughs> I'm gonna have to correct that. But if you could uh, share with us a little bit about, I mean, just now you talked about um, any service member really seeing the things that you saw and coming to certain realizations. So so that's one piece of your story. But this other piece of you having to serve in silence and um, could you tell us why you named it that and what this felt like um, as a service member? Well, uh, serving in silence is sort of a, a broad well, it, it, first of all, it is my autobiography. Right. And as a woman, um, and, uh, you know, so it, it goes through what a woman goes through in terms of trying to validate herself in society. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that our silence is what, uh, what is attributable to a, an appropriate behavior. Uh, and so it's it's the role of women in society. It was the role of someone who was a divorcee uh, when I divorced. Uh, and and it is the continuous uh, hidden story of people's lives. Mm. And realizing as, uh, you know, when I first came out in the military, it was sort of like naively thinking, well, I'm the only lesbian in the military. And uh, or or a gay person in the in the military, and of course that is so naive also. Mm-hmm. But it felt like a very lonely uh, position as I was uh, challenging my discharge, and realizing that there were thousands of others who were serving in silence uh, to preserve their careers, 
and being able to essentially die for the country mm -hmm. if that was um, what was necessary. And uh, the, the cost of that, the emotional cost, the, the anxiety that is uh, created by not being able to be your authentic self. Right. And I think that that is sort of an untold uh, understanding that people, you know, well, why can't you just live in silence? Well, that means that you cannot talk about what your lives and your good, the good things and the bad things. Uh, if something is happening at home, uh, how do you have camaraderie with people if you cannot be your authentic self? So I think that it's, it's not just my story, but anyone who has to hide themselves in any capacity uh, has to serve in silence. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Wow. So again, just, um, thinking about your experience, you had the experience as a woman in the military. And, and I went into the reserve, when was it? 1981, when I was in high school. Um, and the first time, it was the first year that they had women and men go through basic training together. So I went through one of the early cohorts of that. Um, so I bring that up to say that you served during a time where just for a woman to be in the military. Oh yeah. They, was, they, when I joined, you know, women could not be married. They, they couldn't be married. Wow. And uh, when I was in basic training and, you know, learning how to salute and be saluted and everything, yeah. uh, there would be young enlisted people who would walk across the street so they wouldn't have to salute a woman officer. Wow. And, uh, you know, so, so that's how far back it goes. But right. it was also the same time when as uh, when I was going through college uh, and, and studying nursing, uh, you couldn't be married. And uh, at the hospital, we would stand, nurses would stand up and relinquish their chair so that the, the doctors uh, could have something to sit, uh, sit on. And, you know, so everywhere you turned, it was that sort of the diminished role of women. Yes. And uh, to see that you, well, so in the in the early or in the mid mid seventies, when the Women's Army Corps uh, was dissolved and uh, women joined the rest of the military and units rather than um, than being segregated, that was a, a huge first step. Uh, on the on the other side of it, you also lose then some of the camaraderie yes. that you that you had, uh, but it was in important. I, 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 I think I would equate it in some way with regarding the, um, the segregation in the military uh, in the late 40s. And when mm -hmm. that was lifted, that all of a sudden, uh, you didn't have the camaraderie and the support right. of someone like you necessarily, because you were sort of thrown out to the wind. And, uh, and so women along the way now have had to uh, make it alone in separate units. Mm -hmm. And I was part of a um, commission for the um, uh, Defense Department called Dakowitz, which is the Defense Advisory Council on Women in the Services, okay. uh, where we were sort of pushing for uh, that women would be allowed to be in combat. Uh -huh. uh, because for, for many years, 
you know, and especially with uh, when we started in, in Iraq and Kuwait and every place else over there, uh, that women were always attached because of the, the Muslim culture that men could not, you know, talk to or be with or right. uh, anything. So women were a part of the the, um, the 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 efforts to to get information and interrogate and things like that, but they were never acknowledged on their military records, hmm. so that they could show that they had been in combat. Wow! And so they were already there, and right. we we felt that 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 should at least be acknowledged. So the time when the time was for promotion, that they would have right. that opportunity, and then uh, you know now women can make it through ranger training and they can be, you know, combat every, anything. And, you know, it's like the standard shouldn't, it shouldn't be changed. It should be the same for everybody. So you can do the job, right? but you shouldn't be denied just because of a gender issue or any other characteristic. Right. Right. Definitely. And it's interesting um, that as a, a veteran for peace, uh, or veteran at this point who believes that peace is possible in most of the wars, if not all the wars that we get involved in, are wars of choice rather than wars of defense. Um, calling for equality and service, you know, which is something I obviously, not obviously, but I do support because how can you have equality and justice if everyone can't do the same things that anyone else can do? Then at the same time, I'm like, but I don't want there to be, I don't want anybody to go to war. I don't want, you know, so there's this tension um, that interestingly, when you, uh, as, as a, a service member, if you believe in peace, but then you have to go to war, it's just another, uh, one of those places where I guess that tension begins, you know, um, I just wanted to comment on that. <laughs> well, I mean, you're, you're right. It's like, uh... I have the advantage in that, uh, you know, I was in healthcare. So yeah. as a nurse, I didn't see, uh, I didn't have to go out yeah. to defend or to do something, uh, but had the option of, you know, caring for those who did that job. Right. Uh, and yeah. uh, so that al almost puts me in the, you know, in the role of a peacemaker. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but the, the, the difficulty sometimes um I did neurosurgery for uh, eight months and, and uh, uh, medical, uh, medical for, uh, for six. And the tough part about uh, being part of a medical, you know, dealing with people who had malaria and other fevers or some other, you know, dengue fever or things like that, was that you would make them well, and then you'd have to send them back out That's to right. work. Yep. And so that, that might be that they would die or yep. that they would come in injured at some time in the future. So it yep. was, again, one of these, I want to make you well to be able to go home, not to go right. back to war. That's right. That's right. So again, the experience as a woman in the military, even today, um, is a tough experience. Um, one that I, I, I certainly don't... Um, wish even upon myself, you know, I, I respect any woman who chooses to go in the military and can deal with what's happening to too many women. You did that from many, many years ago. I've seen many changes. And then you realize I'm a lesbian. Um, 
and acknowledge that to the military, which had to have been a big decision. I mean, how how do you go from like, oh, I'm not saying anything or whatever to, okay, I need to let them know today? Is it because you felt safe with because you were a colonel? Or, I mean, what what led you to do that? Did meeting your I read that you met your your spouse um, and then a year later, or maybe it was two years, you ended up making this declaration, so to speak. Did that have anything to do with it? I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, you have to be in the situation. And I, you know, uh, until I met Diane, uh, I really had not taken on a label that I was a lesbian. Right. Uh, And uh, so I had, you know, in my mid 40s, I had my aha moment. And uh, when confronted then for a top secret clearance, I was not going to put myself in a position of lying. Okay. And uh, which is which is what led to the disclosure. Right. And, you know, in my delusion of grandeur with my background, I was thinking that, well, of course, they would make an exception or change the policy. Uh, And uh, that, you know, that obviously didn't happen. I I felt uh, I I, I put an analogy on that one as uh, if you're somebody sitting on death row that you're thinking that the phone's going to ring at any moment and you're going to be reprieved from going to the gas chamber or, or, um, but that never happened. And I was discharged. And then through legal teams of Lambda legal defense and uh, the Northwest women's law center uh, ended up having an extraordinary legal team that uh, then presented a case uh, first to the military, uh, and then that went into federal court where uh, it was found that I should never have been discharged to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, but by that time, the don't ask, don't tell law was enacted, and that put it in a different situation. Right. But, you know, 17 years later, it was that what was, you know, the key there Uh, In those lawsuits that ended up sort of pushing for the the repeal was that the judges said, why is it that homosexuality is incompatible with military uh, military life? Because there had it had just been taken as a matter of course, rather than reality. And the military could not come up with anything other than uh, inherent bias against someone who happened to be different. Right. Yeah, and I uh, contributed to the patriarchal mindset that um, our society just generally has had that we're trying to break. You know, um, gender nonconformity uh, is part of trying to make people conform to specific gender roles is, uh, is a patriarchal structure. So it's easy to tell who is who. It's you your know. fault. <laughs> yeah, I I have to say as men or people who identify themselves as men and take on the characteristics that are generally um, said to be male um, are out of control. Yes, we are. Um, and the world would be much better, I think. And I'm not going to say if women ran the world, maybe so, but specifically if, if there was more balance, you yeah. know, um, if there was more balance and, and we didn't try to diminish people 
um, in, in whatever capacity, but specifically this idea of male is good, femininity is bad, you know, um, but that's a whole nother story. So yes. Greta, <laughs> let's talk about uh, Veterans Day now, because we just talked about really challenges you faced. You wanted to serve, you came here as an immigrant, um, you grew up and you decided, you know, I love this country. I want to participate in serving this country, which could mean going to war. Um, you ended up actually going to Vietnam. You obviously wanted to serve people because you became a nurse um, and there's very few other capacities to serve people to the degree you do as, a, as someone in the medical field. Um, but yet, loving the country, wanting to serve people, wanting to serve country, serve the country, you found these challenges that you had to overcome just for being you, you know, just for being the, the person that you are. And, and it didn't matter that you served, you know, it didn't matter that you were a professional who, who rose through the ranks, you know, you, you did everything you were supposed to do. Um, so for me, you know, thinking about that, it makes me think about, well, what is your view of Veterans Day? Um, yeah. So, so why don't you tell us that? Well, I, I think, uh, I mean, I, I think there's also a separation. There's a, there's another separation mm -hmm. uh, that has to do with Veterans Day, and that has to do with Vietnam veterans, oh. who uh, how they were treated, how we were treated upon return from serving in Vietnam mm -hmm. uh, was abhorrent, and uh, so. Uh, for for many years, you know, there wasn't even a, a welcome home um, parade, if you will. And then when the first Iraq war was over after the hundred hour war, uh, we were sort of tagged on to the end of that Veterans Day celebration in Washington, yeah. D.C. Yeah. was also well. And this is also for the Vietnam veterans. Mm -hmm. We never heard about that beforehand as a way of uh, combining into that. So, so there's a certain resentment, I think, uh, on my part for uh, the way we were treated to begin with, but at the same time feeling that at least the veterans who or the, the people who come back now are being recognized uh, for the service and the sacrifices that they made. Uh, in in more so, uh, I, I think as I was growing up, you know, there were there was much more pomp and ceremony associated with it. Now it's it, it seems like um, sort of a it's just another day a, a day in the world without really understanding and a recognition, except in some places of of what the day stands for. Right. So you're saying today just feels like an ordinary day as opposed to in the past, there was actually more yeah, I, 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 I think celebration so. or honoring yeah. of it, I guess. Well, and, you know, we're in the middle of a, of a pandemic. Yeah. So it's not as though, you know, it's, it's a wide open world. You can go do whatever you want. But I, don't, I don't think you meant today, necessary today, today, but like in the past few years, let's say prior to the, to the pandemic. Yeah, I, I think that there's a, sort of a diminished value of... Mm -hmm. Uh, and recognition, and perhaps because there 
it's, you know, it's switched over to a volunteer military. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it's not that everybody has a chance of, of serving. Mm. Uh, and maybe it is, uh, maybe it, it affords an opportunity to think about how is it that more people could be involved in serving the country, mm -hmm. you know, as AmeriCorps or as, uh, you know, working in the parks or giving something back to the United States mm -hmm. uh, in a service, uh, community service way. Mm -hmm. uh, and that that be part of the expectation of young people as they're growing up. Uh, rather than our self-centeredness uh, sometimes. And then to have uh, a celebration to commemorate and appreciate uh, not only the United States, but, but giving back. Mm -hmm. That's a good idea. I would like to see that if it was um, the view. So one of the things I say when I decide to... Um, when someone says, thank you for your service. And lately, mostly I just say, I appreciate that. But sometimes I'll say, um, I appreciate that. You know, the best way to thank me though, is to think about ways to end war. So, you know, we won't have to go to war, you know, yeah. or hold our government accountable for the wars that we get into, you know, things like that. Um, so, but it would be nice if maybe, thank you for your service, and yeah, thank me by thinking about how you can serve too. You know, how can yeah. you serve this country as well? So that's a that's a good thing. Yeah, I have mixed feelings about Veterans Day. You know, um, I do appreciate that there is a day for people to think about veterans and, and the service and sacrifice. But then I think about the post-traumatic stress, the number of veterans that commit suicide or die by suicide, the uh, unemployment, um, the fact that we're in wars we shouldn't be in. And it seems like the thank you is just a way to feel okay, you know, for, for what we are doing, what we've done. And, and I don't have to think about it because I already thanked you, you know. And a lot of times that's, that's how it feels to me. Um, yeah, and, and maybe one of the differences, uh, Michael, is yeah. that, that, um, when it started, it was a, uh, a through a draft. People, uh, this was a way of, of thanking people who went even though they didn't want to. Yeah. Whereas nowadays, uh, you mm. volunteer. Mm -hmm. It is all voluntary. And that yeah. uh, that makes, uh, I think, a little bit of a difference also. Mm. So you're not forced to defend your country. Um, as as you were during the draft. Uh, sure. But maybe we should have a, thank you for taking a, a vaccine. Hey, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> you know, for the country. Right. Let's do a vaccine and, right. and have people, uh, you know, accept that. And, you know, to have people in the military say, I'm not going to take the vaccine. I'm yeah. sorry, you're out of here. Yeah. Uh, because that's that's just absurd. Yes. Uh, right. But but I, I digress. No. Well, I think you're speaking to there's other ways to serve your country. Yeah. And yes. And and when you're saying you love your country, let's really look at what it means to to love your country. You know, to love all of everyone in it to the extent you can. You don't have to like everybody, but 
But, you know, loving your country does mean uh, to me anyway, I don't want you to get sick. And I know I might make you sick if I'm sick. So I'll go ahead and take the, the vaccine. So I understand what you're saying there. That makes total sense. Yeah. So before we close, is there anything you would like to tell the audience, um, you know, that I haven't asked or we haven't talked about? No, I think I think this is an interesting conversation because I it, it's not one that I have commonly had in terms of my own metamorphosis in terms of Vietnam and, and dealing with it. Uh, but I think, as you mentioned, that um, involvement in the military and military engagements, no matter where it is, has a huge emotional toll on the people who participate. Yeah. Even if, uh, if they're not combatants, uh, the family separation, mm -hmm. the re reconnection again, pulled out again, what that does to, to families and to children um, is it's insurmountable in terms of how, how can you retrieve that time uh, or get back. Uh, and, and that's why you know, many people uh, will say that, well, since the return of my spouse, uh, you know, it's, it's a different person. Yep. Uh, and to understand, as, as you said earlier, that the cost of, of going to war is, I, I mean, it's, it's, it, 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 there's never a payoff. Yeah. There is always, uh, it is always tragedy and, and loss and it accomplishes absolutely nothing. No, it's not, especially, especially for the average person. There are some people who gain from it, but it's a very small number of people, you know, very small. But at the same time, I thoroughly enjoyed being in the military. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I love the pomp and ceremony. Mm -hmm. I love I love the time of peace. Yes. Uh, and being able to serve and to have, you know, uh, the belief in a, a, a standing army that really was there to defend the country, right. not to be offensive yes. uh, in that. And perhaps that is one of the ways of looking at it. Yes. Yes. Well, thank you so much for uh, being our guest today. I appreciate your time and I appreciate your service. Um, you broke ground, you know, for a lot of people and that's really important. So thank you for that. Thank you, Michael. Okay. So that's the end of our show. Thank you to Colonel Kammermeyer, music by the Colonel, and the Passion High Five. Thank you for listening, and until next time, power to the peace movement.